Hi, I'm Caroline Stancil, and I'm a part of the Refuge family. Please stand as we read scripture. Today's scripture is Ephesians 1, 15 through 18. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not chase to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glory and inheritance in all the saints. Thank you, and you may be seated. Well, thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Ben. That's just good stuff we sang today, good truths we declared to get today together. Amen? Yeah, good stuff. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. You know, the scripture tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You know that, right? So what the scripture teaches us regularly, without the shedding of Jesus' blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so if you're new here, or you might have missed last week, or maybe you watched online, or maybe you were in the room with us, uh, I'll just remind you of just where we were last week. Uh, we closed by asking these questions. These, this is what we ask at the end of the service, at the end of the message, which is kind of what we do every week. We're like, hey, why does all this matter? So what is the, my question, right? And so if we preached all this and we've said all this and the scriptures declare all this, what does it matter to us today? And so last week we said this, uh, how do you obtain an inheritance? Remember that? Someone dies and leaves you something of value. That's how like, typically you obtain an inheritance. And then we ask, are you part of the family of God? Do you have an inheritance coming? And it's one of those things that I hope each of you had an opportunity to examine yourself, to go, do I have an inheritance coming? Am I part of the family? Will I receive that same type of inheritance? Have you repented of your sins and believed the gospel? Uh, have you trusted in the blood of Jesus that we thank, sang about today? Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. What can wash away my sins? What's the answer? Rubble, rubble, rubble. Uh, yeah, this is uh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yeah, right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away our sins. And, and so we ask that question, are you sealed with the Holy Spirit? That was one of the things we asked as we closed last week. And so uh, let's jump into where we kind of left off on that with those questions in mind and those thoughts in mind. And hopefully that's beginning to even reverberate with you as we sang some of these songs today. And and we've even said those questions, or am I sealed with the Holy Spirit? Is there something different about me? Has the Spirit of God actually changed me? You need to ask yourself that very question today, because that's why we do what we do. That's why we preach and sing and all these gospel truths is because we want the Spirit of God to reveal to you that very truth. Are you part of the family of God? And so we'll keep on going in our text today and hopefully uh, we, and prayerfully, the Spirit will reveal those things to you. So, uh, so 15, again, is where Caroline read uh, for us today. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom out of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? <clears throat> so let's uh, jump in in verse 15, and it says this, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and for your love toward all the saints. And so the question becomes, 
for what reason. And so I'm going to do a little uh, drawing on here because I've learned how to do this. Uh, and so uh, I get to play on the screen. For this reason, the question becomes, what reason? Right? What reason? As you're reading the text, be inquisitive as you read the text in the scriptures. If you come to questions like this, make sure you understand what the writer is actually talking about. And so that harkens back to verse 13 and 14. So look in your Bibles. I hope you've got them open. Look in your Bibles because it says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And then he says, for this reason. And so this reason becomes, one, that you heard the truth, okay? That you heard the truth. We say this regularly at Refuge, that we're going to preach the truth of the gospel regularly every week at Refuge. We're going to sing it. We're going to preach it. We're going to do that regularly because you need to hear the truth. You need to hear the truths of the gospel directly from the scriptures. And that's the next thing. You've heard the truth of the gospel, not some truth that I think is truth, not some truth that I'm just going to make up about something else. But I tell people regularly, if we're not preaching the gospel from here, if we fail to preach the gospel from this pulpit on a regular basis, you need to find another church, okay? Amen? Yeah. And, and so if you're a part, if you're visiting with us today and you're going, man, I'm looking for a church that preaches the gospel, we literally preach it every week. I tell people I have one message. It's the gospel. I, I got nothing else. Makes my job easy, you know, uh, that I preach the gospel week in and week out. And so he says, you've heard the truth. You've heard the gospel of your salvation because it is the gospel that leads us to salvation. The declaring, God has chosen to de- for to use the declaring of the gospel to rescue men and women from their sin. He could do it any way he wanted to do, right, right, to do it, right? He could do it any way he chose to do it, but he has declared the preaching of the gospel, the declaring of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel to be the way that he chooses to save people, that the Spirit takes our paltry words and chooses to awaken people to the truth of the gospel. So you've heard the truth, you've heard the gospel of your salvation, and, you, and from that you believed in Jesus. Well, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Is it enough to just believe in him that Jesus was a real person? Does that save you? Yes or no? Who thinks yes? If I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Uh, everybody's like, oh my gosh, this is my first time. I'm raising my hand. I'm a charismatic now. Uh, 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 so, uh, so think about this. If we say we believe in Jesus, what does that, what does that really mean for us whenever we're talking in biblical language? That doesn't mean just an intellectual belief. And I need you to hear me about this. It's not just an intellectual belief. All of us in here, for the most part, if I had to, if I, if I, you know, had, had to kind of poll the place, would say that you believe in Jesus, that Jesus was a real person, that he actually existed. And so we can believe that Jesus existed. You know who else believes in Jesus in that way? The devil. Yeah, the scripture tells us that even Satan and his demons believe in Jesus. They know he's real, right? Because they're at his, hey, he, he can't, they can't do anything unless he says it's okay. So they believe in Jesus too, but that's not the way the scriptures talk about saving faith in Jesus. It's one thing to know with my head that Jesus exists. It's another thing to know within my being and believe in my being that he came and he lived the life that he lived, a sinless life while he was here, tempted in every way, yet he did it without sin. And that then he gave his life willingly on the cross 
and shed his blood to cover our sin. We sang a lot about the blood today. And, we, and because the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And scripture also says that the blood of bulls and goats does not remove sin. So it's not Old Testament sacrifices or uh, the shedding of blood from animals that forgave anybody's sins. All that was pointing to the Lamb of God who shed blood on the cross would cover our sin debt, okay? That's what it takes. And so, so believing in Jesus means that I believe he lived, that he came, he, he's God the Son, that he lived his life uh, perfectly, that he did it without sin, uh, that he died on the cross, he shed his blood to cover our sin debt, and then three days later God raised him from the dead. That he is alive now forevermore. He is alive, ever interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. Amen? It's good news, right? That is good news for us. And so then the scripture says once we believe that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us and seals us. Uh, Jesus says that I, my sheep hear, know my voice and nobody will ever snatch, me out of, snatch them out of my hand. And so that, that's kind of the doctrine that we've heard called once saved, always saved, right? Once you become a Christian, once you become a follower of Jesus, you can't lose your salvation if you're truly uh, converted. And then lastly, uh, we talked about last week, there's an inheritance that you'll acquire. And that inheritance is being, we're laying up treasures in heaven. The things that we do here on this earth, we lay up treasures in heaven and we'll, we'll, we'll acquire that inheritance. Really, it's to live our life uh, and for the rest of eternity with God the Father. So for this reason, that's the reasons, that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, for this reason, those things I just covered, because I have heard in you the faith in the, love, the, the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Uh, uh, so let's examine this a little bit further. Uh, Paul was commending the believers at Ephesus, and after again expressing his encouragement to them for their following Jesus, he moves toward talking about how following Jesus has actually made a difference in their life. Okay? That how following Jesus has made a difference to them in their life. Paul says, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. Remember, he's writing this letter. And so he writes, I've heard about you guys. I know about your faith in the Lord Jesus. And I know about your love for the saints. So he, it had impressed on him so much that he chose to write it in this letter. What have people heard about you? If Paul's writing this letter to you or about you, what would he say about you? What's the scuttlebutt on you? What's the story that gets told about you? When people speak of your name, what's the main storyline that people associate with your name and who you are? Would Paul write the same thing about you? If he was writing a letter about Scott Benjamin, would he say, man, I have, I, uh, for this reason, Scott Benjamin, uh, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints and go on and on. Would he put your name there and go, hey, because I've heard of you, insert your name. I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Now look, it could be that you're a great leader. And that's a really good thing. We need good leaders in whatever areas of the world in our work and church and a lot of different places like that. Maybe you're a good leader and that's a good thing. Or maybe you're a great teacher. I'm married to a teacher. She's a wonderful second grade teacher. 
That's a good thing to, to, to be a good teacher, be good at what you do. Maybe you're a good fundraiser, and that's what you do for a living. And man, that, that's a good thing to be, to be known for. Maybe you're a great salesperson, and you, you, know, you walk into a room, and, and you, can, you can sell anything you know, uh, to, to anybody at any time, and that's a good thing. Maybe you're just a great worker. Whatever you do, whatever your, whatever your profession is, if you're a student or whatever the thing is that you do, you're just really good at, those are good things. The Scripture tells us that as followers of Jesus, we should work heartily and unto the Lord. And so we tell people at Refuge all the time, you should be the best employee that anybody knows. You should be the best employee. You should be the person that arrives on time. You should be the person that's always doing the extra work without complaining. You're the person, you should literally be the best employee that there is if you claim the name of Jesus. So we say that regularly here at Refuge. But Paul commends the Ephesian church not because of their profession, not because of what they do, but because he's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, faith in the Lord Jesus obviously made a difference in their lives. They lived in a way that even the Apostle Paul talked about. They lived in a way that their faith was visible. They lived in a manner worthy of the upward calling that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, our faith is a personal decision that each person must make. You must make a decision on your own to follow Jesus, to repent of your sins and believe the gospel. And we must foster that within our own lives as we live it out. I can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your uh, your family, your grandmother, you don't get the faith just because you're in a specific family. My children aren't believers because I'm the preacher, okay? And you're not a believer just because your grandma went to church, okay? Just because your grandma and grandpa helped build the church, you're not a believer just because of that, okay? You have to have your own personal experience, your own personal time with the Lord. So it is a personal decision. And so the scripture would go on to say what this means is our faith is not designed to be private. Okay? I need to write that down. If you're a take note taker, this is your first real note. Our faith is not designed to be private. Just as in the days around uh, when, when the letter was written to the Ephesians, faith in the Lord Jesus should be known to the world around us. I mean, it rocked the world in the early church. I mean, it shook the world. It, it changed the world in the early church. They were so strong in their faith. They lived so differently that they were written about that, that Paul noted this as he was writing to the church, to the people at Ephesus, and it literally rocked and changed the world. And true faith in Jesus should likewise rock the world today. Think about the world we live in today here in 2021. If we live differently, if we live like we've been rescued from our sin, if we live like the Spirit of God actually indwells us, like, he, like it's a literal truth that the Spirit indwells us, and, and He does, then we should be so different from the culture. We should look so different from the culture that it's, it, it should be talked about. 
Now, look, we're all for here at Refuge specifically, we talk about engaging the culture and we're not withdrawers from the culture. We're not running away from the culture. We're actually engaging the culture. But when we go into the culture and engage the culture, we're going to be salt and light. We're going to be different. We're going to live differently in the culture in which we live, not to just blend in and look like, you know, we just just kind of become a uh, chameleon and you can't even see us in the culture. But we're called to be part of the culture and to live differently. So you and I don't have to be Paul, not McDade, but I mean, we don't, we don't have to be the Apostle Paul, or, or you don't, we don't have to be the Ephesians, but we're called to live out our faith publicly and powerfully. We do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So Paul not only commends them for their faith in Jesus, but also, listen, their love toward all the saints. Say all. All the saints. Say all the saints. All the saints. saints. Now let's think through that. Why do you think it was important for Paul, uh, for him to notice and commend them for this? I have an answer. We'll just go with mine. Uh, Because loving others that are not like us is difficult. Come on. Right? That's okay to say amen. Yeah. Loving others that are not like us is difficult. Loving people in a different socioeconomic uh, class than we are or in a different uh, place in life, it's hard, right? Come on. It's okay to say it's right. It's just, there are things that we don't have in common. And we're like, how do I love somebody that I don't hang out with? How do I love somebody that I don't understand? They make so much more money than me, or they make so much less money than me, and they live differently than me. Man, we don't have anything to talk about. Love towards others that we don't even know before we might have met them here at a refuge gathering is not the norm. What do we do? What, what, do, we, what do we typically do in our culture today? What do we do? Yeah, we, we, we kind of get homogenous groups, right? We like the people we like, and we go to the people we like, and we hang out with the people we like, and we live kind of in our suburb neighborhoods, and we close our garage doors, and we pull our blinds, we hope nobody knocks on our door, right? That's what we do. Am I having a stroke or the light's doing something? <laughs> is, is this just me? It's just me. Yeah. Okay. If I fall out, it's not a charismatic moment. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what I was talking about. All right. Yeah. So, so love towards other people is not the norm. But listen, following Jesus, being filled with the Spirit of God allows us, and I would even say requires us to live differently. Requires us to live differently. Listen, requires us to live differently. And that's just not your pastor talking here. Look, Jesus said this. This this is the big man talking. Here's what he says in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you. What? Say it with me. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must what? Love one another. 
And then he goes on to say this, by this, by what? By what? Loving one another. By this, everybody will know that you are my disciples if what? You love one another. Pretty straightforward, right? Pretty just straight out there. But Jesus even calls us to love people even outside the household of faith. I'm going to read these, but I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. These are not going to be on your screen. I want you to actually see them in the print. Matthew chapter 5, pick up in verse 43. Here's what it says. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Who's heard that before, right? We, we, we just practice that regularly, right? There's people I love. I love people. I hate my enemies. You've heard it said that. But, Jesus says, I tell you, what? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what regard will, get, will it get you? Right? He's saying, man, if you love people who love you and they're your buddy, buddy, then what good is that? What's that doing? That's easy, right? And not even the tax collectors doing that, or not, are not even the tax collectors doing that. He's like, tax collectors love other tax collectors. That's not a big deal. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Then he goes on in Mark chapter 12, uh, 31, and says this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then turn to Luke chapter 10, and we'll, see, we'll read this next one together. Luke chapter 10. This is a story that Jesus told. Pick up in verse 30. Here's what it said. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beating him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, you know, the preachers are out. Uh, Paul and Paul and, and Blake and I were walking down the road, and we see this dude laying in the ditch, and we're like, hey, if we go to the other side of the road, maybe people won't think that we actually saw him in the ditch, okay? That's basically what happened right here, right? It was Paul's idea. Uh, so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So this is like the band. So the band comes by, and they see this dude over in the ditch. And what does the band do? They start fiddling with their instruments and like looking away and like practicing, you know, you know whatever they're doing. Uh, and they move by on the other side too. They don't go over and help the dude. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took him there, and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you any expense you may have. So he says, like, look, dude, I don't, I'm not even from the same tribe as this dude. I don't even like this dude. Our people have been fighting together for years, but he's in the ditch for goodness sake and he needs some help. And so I'm going to go help the dude. And so he takes him to this innkeeper and he says, hey, here's all the money I got in my pocket right here. Take this 
And I'm going to come back later, and if there's any cost you any more, I'll pay you for that too. Seems reasonable. Which, Jesus says, which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell on the robbers? And the experts in the law replied what? The one who had mercy on him. Jesus said what? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So Jesus is teaching that we not only do that for those of us inside the household of faith, specifically we're called to anybody we see that needs help, anybody we see that needs that is hurting, anybody we see that's in trouble, that we are called as followers of his to go and help and to go the extra mile. It costs this dude money. It costs him his time. It inconvenienced him. Following Jesus, despite what any health, wealth, and prosperity gospel preachers might tell you, is not about all we can get here. Okay? It's about loving and caring people and literally being uh, extending love and care that we've gotten from the Father, that we extend that to others as we encounter them along the way. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus believes and taught that we're to love one another. People will uh, know that we belong to Jesus if we love the way we love one another. He goes on in verse 16 uh, in this text and says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Paul says, remembering you in my prayers. Now, Paul says, man, I'm thankful for you dudes. I'm thankful for you Ephesians. And he said, I remember you and I pray for you regularly. And I'll just tell you, I'm really thankful for you, Refuge Church. I'll, I'll, I'll just want to echo what Paul has to say here and tell you that I'm just thankful for you. You, you are Refuge Church. And, and, and so I'm thankful to be part of this church, uh, and I'm thankful that you're part of this church, and I just love you people. Um, I'm thankful for the good and the bad and the ugly history of our church family. There's been a lot of it all. We've, kinda, we've seen a lot of good things happen here. We've seen some bad things happen here. We've seen some ugly things happen here. You know what? That's just part of being the church. We walk through our sin and, and we sin against one another and then we reconcile through it. And that's some evidence of the Spirit of God actually moving whenever we sin against one another and reconciliation and forgiveness happens. That's an evidence of the Spirit at work. It hasn't been a bed of roses uh, for most of these 12 years. It's been a tough go. But we've seen God be patient and generous and kind to us through really all these 12 years. I found some pictures uh, kind of to just kind of harken back to this. I put them on social media this week, but you may not have seen them. Uh, and I think it's just kind of one of those evidences of the grace of God in the life of our church. This was our first gathering space that we ever had our first, um, our first meeting in. This is it. There were about 30 of those hard plastic chairs. And, and so this room is actually where our kids' rooms are now. Uh, we, had, we had come into this building, and if you see, that's kills on the wall. That's nicely painted, kill, freshly painted kills on the wall. We were going with the white decor at the time. Uh, uh, actually, we walked into this building. It's funny, whenever we found out that this building was available, uh, I showed up and came in the other end, like where our students are now. This was, this was a music college, if you can believe that. Like, this was literally a college. And the students lived across the way in that hotel 
across the street. That's where they stayed. And so uh, this place was a dump. I'm not even kidding. A dump. And I decided that people in the music college, they practiced their instruments a lot, and they didn't pay a lot of attention to cleanliness. Uh, it was just a dump. And so we came in, and we worked and worked and worked and cleaned and cleaned. We would have certain, we found, well, so I walked in, and I, and I walked through the building. I'm thinking, I don't know. This place is really trashy or whatever. And I finally come into these doors and open the doors. They actually had Christmas lights hanging back then. I've got a picture of that that I'll show you here, too. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is the place. And so that's how this thing began. And so while we were working through transforming this room, that was where we first met. Well, then the second time, our second uh, meeting, we actually had in this room, and it looked like this. That was our first stage. And it literally was right here, uh, and it had that old janky uh, black foam <laughs> in the back. And that was part of the original stage that was here for a long time until we tore this out and put a new one in. And so that was, that was uh, the first service. And then this was actually a picture from it as well. See, the Christmas lights were there back then too. And so that's the way it looked back then. And then today, uh, this was just a picture from the other night at Recovered. Uh, and it's just really cool to see kind of the progression of the kindness of the Lord to us in the middle of, 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 of walking through this for 12 years. So I'm just very thankful for this church. Uh, some of you are some of my nearest and dearest friends uh, and they're part of this refuge family. I'm just very thankful for you. Um, but I want you to listen to me. We're truly being the church. We're being the church whenever we all collectively begin to love one another. When we all love one another when we show compassion to one another, when we show compassion to those who are around us. Scott Sauls uh, wrote this. I follow him on Twitter, and uh, you should follow him at some point too. He wrote this, and he said, almost everyone you meet is insecure, overwhelmed, and, and under-encouraged. Consider taking time off from telling people how disappointed you are in them. Everyone already knows they fall short. Instead, show some compassion and be kind People are starved for this. People are starved for the church to be the church. People are starved for the people of God to begin to live like the people of God. Not just in our own private faith, but publicly and living out and engaging with people in our culture. People are starving for us to love and care for them the way Jesus loved and cared for other people. One of the primary jobs the church has uh, as, is, her people to pr- is for her people to pray. And in this text, Paul's really talking about a prayer for the church. Verse 17 begins uh, to talk about how and what he prays for and his hopes for the church. Look what it says in 17. And he says, "...that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And so let's think through this verse for a little bit. Uh, Paul says, oh, first, uh, what do you think, uh, what's the first thing he asks God for? What does it say in the text? What is it? Yeah, the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of knowing him. So let me ask you this question. When do uh, believers receive the Holy Spirit? 
That's right. Did you hear what they said? Yeah, when they're saved. Yeah. So when you repent of your sins and you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, you immediately receive the Holy Spirit. This is not something that comes later. This is not multiple fillings, no matter what church you might have been in before and told you that. Whenever you repent of your sins and believe the gospel, the Spirit of God indwells you. Uh, the, John chapter 14, uh, verse 17 tells us that, that we are filled with the Spirit uh, upon our conversion. And, and so the spirit that Paul is talking about here in the text can't be just the spirit of God filling us. That's not what he's talking about here in this text. Uh, if not the Holy Spirit, though, then what is Paul asked for in his request? That the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And so I think the key phrase to that is uh, at the end of that where he says, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of of him. Underline that for me, if you will, in your text. I'll underline it in mine. Oops, sorry. Whoops. I don't know how to use this thing. Uh, let's go back to the set. Yeah, 17. Uh, look what it says here in 17. So underline in the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of him. So Paul had commended their faith um, in the Lord Jesus and their love toward one another. But now he's asking them, he's asking God to give them a deeper and greater understanding of the mysteries of God, to know him more intimately, to, more him know, to know him more personally. Now that they have the Holy Spirit that indwells them, Paul desires for the Spirit to grant them more understanding, to grant them more insight. So the wisdom is a better understanding of the doctrines of God and the revelation is a clearer picture of his divine character and will. Let me say that again. Wisdom is a better understanding of the doctrines of God. Who wouldn't want that, right? What pastor wouldn't want that for their people? Paul was right. He, he wants that for the church at Ephesus. I want that for the church here at Refuge, for you to have a better understanding of the doctrines of God. And the revelation is a clear picture of what God's character is and what his will is for you and for me. So, but we know this, God is intimate. He can never be fully known by finite creatures, right? We'll all need wisdom from above to even begin to know who he is. No matter how far we go, no matter how much doctrines we study, no matter if you go to seminary and did a, get a degree or whatever, uh, we're never going to fully uh, understand God. There's so much more to be explored. Scripture, though, is full of admonitions to grow in our knowledge of God. Look what the Scripture says. Uh, well, I'll just, I'll just read these to you. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and in the days of eternity. Amen. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. So it's talking about that we're always called to be growing. We're always called to be growing into Christ. And so I'll ask you this question. Let's just stop and listen. Do you know the Savior? And are you growing in your knowledge of the Savior? Like if you were to take an own, your own uh, inventory of your life, if you were to look back and go, let me examine my life over the last week, month, 
year, five years, 10 years, am I growing in my knowledge of the Savior? What, am I further along in knowing who Jesus is than I was a year ago or two years ago or 10 years ago? Am I further along in knowing Jesus? Do you know the Savior? See, in our southern gospel, easy believism, golden ticket theology, it has lulled the church to sleep in kind of a one and done thing. And then once I and, and then once I die, I'll head to the by and by, right? And so it's lulled us to sleep of even for not even thinking about the possibility of knowing Jesus more intimately while we're here. That whole discipleship piece, it has been literally, I've said the prayer, I've prayed the prayer, I'm saved, just ask me, I'll give you a date. Your life may not look any different. Your actions may not be any different. There may not be anything that's ever changed about you in the way that you live your life. But you say, remember, boom, golden ticket theology, how we talk about it here? I'll pull that on God one day when I die. Remember when I was seven? That's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches us to grow up into Christ, to mature into Christ. Remember, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, I just talked about this in the very beginning. You've heard the truth. You've heard the gospel of your salvation. You believed in Jesus. You've been sealed with the Spirit. You have a guarantee, and your inheritance will come. And then he got to verse 17, and Paul wanted them to continue to grow and mature in Jesus. That's what he's telling them here in verse 17. And he's saying the same thing for us, to grow and mature in following Jesus. And, and then lastly, Paul says he outlines some of the mysteries he wants the Ephesians to understand uh, through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Look at verse 18. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so he desires for them uh, to grasp the hope which he has called them, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Uh, this is the hope of eternal life, which Paul refers to in Philippians as the upward call in Christ Jesus. We inherit this through him who has called us and saved us, and he calls us to holiness. He talks about that in 2 Timothy, that he calls you and me to holiness. When we follow Jesus, we're called to live differently than those, than those around us who don't know Jesus. And so this spirit of wisdom is not something that's given to a special few. It's not just, he didn't just give that to preachers. He doesn't just give the spirit of wisdom to preachers. He gives the spirit of wisdom to all of us who are in Christ Jesus. This is not something that, uh, the, the spirit of wisdom is not some utterance that I'm going to say that you don't have the language to say. That's not what that's about. But it's a work of the Holy Spirit to help people under, understand the things of God more, to understand him more fully and more completely. Look at Paul's imagery in verse 18. He says, I want the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Think about that. He's giving you the picture of his heart, which means your being. And he says, I want the eyes of my heart, the eyes, the opening, the what I perceive things of my entire being enlightened. To maybe for the first time to see and gaze on Jesus, to gaze on the Savior, the one who gives us the hope of an inheritance. And so now we come to the weekly, so what? What do we do with this text? The question becomes, 
How do we love one another? How do we love one another? He calls us to that. And I guess a better question might be, why is love so important? We know that God is love, right? And if we're made in His image, the very fabric of our being requires us to love people. Jesus, whenever He spoke about the troubles that we would encounter in the, on this earth. He says our, our obedience to love one another should be the glaring thing for us when people see it. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, it says this, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Another, the New Living Translations, that same verse says this, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of people will grow cold. And then the CEV, which is a newer version, says, evil will spread and cause many people to stop loving others. So when the lack of love is rampant, and I mean, we could say we're seeing this now, right? When the lack of love is rampant, the love of God pouring out through you and me to others would shine bright in a culture like that. Remember this? Our faith is not designed to be private. Our faith is not designed to be private. So you say, well, how can we do this? There's only one way to love people like God loves people, and that's to get it from Him. Apart from Him, we're unable to love other people. It's written because we love because He first loved us. 1 John chapter 1 says the way we love people is to know that we've been loved by God first. And so we rely on the, on the love of God to infuse us with that love that He has for us to allow us to love others. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6 says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this way, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so we obey and love other people by the grace of God. Remember how we talked about we got to figure out how to love one another in this church? That happens by the grace of God. You won't will yourself up to love somebody that you're just not like or that doesn't look like you or smells funny or you know, acts different or whatever. You won't will yourself to do that. That's not the way we're why Our flesh fights against that. But by the Spirit of God who lives within us, we're able to love people that are different than us. You're able to love me, who I'm just weird. Thank you for not amening. Uh, <laughs> but we're able to love one another because the Spirit of God lives within us. So if, listen to this. If you're wrestling with loving your brother or sister, ask God for help. If you're wrestling with, I don't really want to love them, or I can't love them, or I haven't loved them, Ask God for help. You may say, I don't really like loving my brothers or sisters right now. Yeah, well, we don't really get that option. Jesus did not give us the option of loving one another when the other one doesn't live up to our expectations or standards. And aren't you glad that his love for us doesn't ebb and flow 
with our own actions toward him? I'll remind you again of what Jesus said. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another by this. The love we have for one another, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Maybe today is the day you let go of those things. Maybe today is the day that you let go of some of those things because God has let go of all your junk. That's not simply your pastor speaking this to you, although I am. This is the Lord Jesus who says this to us. The church, his bride. The head of the church is saying this to the church. Your Savior is saying this to you. But maybe you simply can't love like this because the Spirit of God doesn't live within you. Maybe you're truly incapable of loving like this. And it's because Jesus is not your Savior yet. And if this is you, then with all that is, all that is within me, I urge you to repent of your sins and believe the gospel. You, you can't love like this. You won't love like this if the Spirit of God does not fill you. I won't love you like this. I promise you, I would not love you the way I love you if the Spirit of God didn't fill me. And you won't love people the way we're called to love people if the Spirit of God does not fill you. So I urge you to believe the gospel. Believe that God loves you. Believe that Jesus lived the life that you could not live and he died a death uh, to, to, in your place. And that the Spirit of God is calling you to follow Jesus today. My question for you, my hope for you is today you'll repent, you'll turn from your sin, you'll lay your sin down and believe the gospel today. You'll follow Jesus today. We're going to give you space to do that right after we pray. Let's pray together.